Some of you may be aware that I have recently been on a journey of moving my services to the online space. At the very beginning of that journey, I was blessed to have met my guest today, Henry Paul, or as I know him, Hank. Hank runs a successful wedding photography business, Henry Paul Photography, and he's based out of Sydney. Hank is also a business educator who's transitioning his service-based business to the online space too, but he's focusing in on his passion of queer visibility in business. In this episode, Hank opens up about his journey to this point as a successful photographer and how he was drawn to creating a platform where queer business owners feel supported to build social impact businesses, along with developing resources such as his recently successful Queer Ally Workshop that provides training on how to authentically become an inclusive wedding vendor and ally for LGBTQ couples. Hank even lets us in on who he would have play him in a movie about his life. There is so much to enjoy in this episode, so come take a listen. I'm Amy Bajada, CPA by trade, not in nature. Now financial coach to businesses globally. The Boring Shit You Need to Know in Business podcast was created with business owners and aspiring business owners in mind. It's a way to bring you simple yet effective business strategies, explore the art of being in business, and challenge the notion that our financial numbers are boring. If you're looking to improve your profitability, increase your cash and grow your business, you're in the right place. Join me and other business owners as we discuss the boring shit you need to know in business. Well, welcome, Hank. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. It's great I'm, to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad we finally got this happening because we've been talking about it for some time now. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm really glad that you're here. Also, I realized uh, when we got on the call, I don't think I've ever had just a conversation with you alone. Like we're always with a group of people. So this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. The, the backstory to that is that we have joined an accountability pod as part of our online I guess, quest to go online as mm, business mm. owners. And so we've been joined by other business owners. Yeah, but you're right. We haven't really been the last men standing essentially and and had conversations like this. So it's, it's really good. This is going to be it's great. Lovely. Yeah, a bit of quality time together. I love it. Quality time. We love that. So Hank, I want to jump straight in if that's okay with you. Um, I'm so glad that you're here for so many reasons that I can't wait to get in and discuss but I did want to straight up start with your business story. I'm a big sucker mm -hmm. for business stories. And I recently read a post on your Henry Paul photography page on Facebook. Yep. Where you said that you were living with so much shame without any healthy role models of queerness in your life that Oof. you held yourself back from living authentically for a long time. You then went on to describe your current state of living as being an intersection of your queerness and photography. Mm. And this is like a decade in the making. So yes. tell me about this journey for you and your business, because I certainly love where you've landed. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Uh, it's really interesting hearing those words spoken back to me because, Fair. yes, I, I literally wrote those words. Those are my words. But to then hear it in someone else's mouth and go like, oh, gosh, yeah, that's it, it hits. It hits different. And you know, it's funny because I've lived that and that is my story. So I suppose that the story starts with being a, you know, a, a, a teenager who kind of 
landed in this weird art of photography without really knowing what I was doing, but started kind of getting some work booked here and there as a bit of a hobby. And I had no idea of what being a business owner meant. I had no idea of what entrepreneurship was. And on top of all of that, I also just didn't really love myself enough to accept that I was gay. And so that being an entirely separate thing to business is just, you're at that stage in your life where you're asking all of the questions and discovering who you are and who you want to be. So I then kind of went on this journey for a few years after high school where I was loving the photography side of things and I was loving the business, but not really loving myself. And I, I see now how the fact that I didn't actually like myself very much inhibited my ability to build a business that was going to thrive and that was a, a really accurate and authentic representation of who I am. And, you know, in the, in the services industry that you and I both in, it's, it's so much about your connection with your clients. And if they feel a fakeness or a falseness about you, it's actually harder to then book the work. You know, there's something that's kind of, they, they can read between the lines. And so it, it really took me that time over several years to be like, gosh, if I actually love myself more and accept who I am, accept my queerness, don't hide that away, but actually bring it as an asset to my business every day, then that's actually going to benefit my business. It's going to benefit my clients. It's going to benefit my photos, uh, bringing my whole self to work. So yeah, that's, uh, I don't know if that's like the story you wanted, but that's, yeah, that's in a that's nutshell. The story, whatever the story <laughs> is, makes sense to me. Can I, I want to take you, I want to go way back to your first comment where you said that straight out of high school, you then decided to toy with this idea of photography. Did you take photography in high school? Uh, so the way that I landed in photography is actually just through a mutual friend at the time who was a full-time wedding photographer himself. And so I had this introduction through a friend and he then asked me to come and work for him. I was still in high school. I had no experience. I'd never picked up an SLR camera. Like I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, but what I, I guess what he saw in me was just this person who was going to represent his business really well. And, you know, that I was, I was friendly enough and likable enough. And so the, the photo side of things that can be taught, but I suppose that when you meet somebody who makes you, you feel like you can trust them with your business then, you know, that's, that's a real, um, that's an asset. So that's how I landed in photography while I was in high school through that kind of, you know, he kind of mentored me for about six months in that. And it was through that, that I realized, oh, I do want to learn more. And so in my final year of high school, I did take a photography class as well, but that's like the extent of my like formal education in photography. I didn't do it at uni. I didn't pursue it any further in a, in a um, kind of tertiary sense. But what I did do is I pursued it as a craft and as an art. And I really just wanted to consistently work on improving myself. It's, it's a strange disconnect when you talk about finding it a bit of a struggle for yourself personally to be happy with yourself. And yet there's an external person that saw so much in you right yeah 
it's so true that there's this outwardly, I guess, um, mask that we often wear when we're struggling inside to try and connect with people in a way that we think they need us to connect with and just to get through that day-to-day life. But obviously he saw something in you beyond just a skill set. And you must have, you know, it must have been a real, I guess, challenge for you, given what you're going through internally to then present yourself up for someone else's business. Yeah. And it's a pretty universal theme for people in the queer community that we, you know, we have this phrase of coming out and until you come out, there is a level of uh, secrecy or a level of inauthenticity because maybe you haven't accepted it for yourself or you you have too much shame, which were both things for me. Mm. And so when, when you then come out, I think there is a fear that people will completely see you as a different person or that every, every interaction that you've ever had prior to that was a lie. And, you know, those are definitely myths in the space of, you know, queer allyship of, of figuring out like, well, actually that person who I knew before they came out is still there. It's actually, I've just get to see a, a, a bigger, more colorful, vibrant version of them. So yeah, I think you, you, you kind of touch on something there of, I had a lot of my own insecurities at that age, but someone else saw my potential. Yeah. What a great, what a great story. Like, I really do love that. I, I, I hate that you had those struggles, like, you know, mm. that goes without saying, but to be able to come to that realization that, the more you were authentic within yourself and the more you felt not authentic within yourself, but the more you felt comfortable with where you stood, you were able to flourish. So here you are Mm. not knowing anything about going into business and you're starting this thriving, brilliant business of wedding photography Mm. about Mm. that startup. And so, you know, I'd be interested to hear some of the, the, the fumbling outside of that personal struggle you were going through. Tell me about the fumbling of becoming a business owner in its own right. Oh, so many mistakes. Hey, I don't, <laughs> I don't know about you, but just going into business, there's not a manual for it, right? Yeah. You just have to figure it out as you go. Crazy. And I remember I went full time in 2015 and about... <laughs> so bad so at the time I was like oh yes I've got plenty of work I've got enough like doing all the math I can I can afford to just quit my day job and do this full time I asked what your day job was oh it was just in retail it wasn't oh, okay. anything I didn't exciting. realize no, you no. Were actually I was, that was going to be one of my questions whether you'd actually worked because you'd started so young I started um, so young and and so I've never I've never worked a full-time job in my life like right. my full-time job is is my well, business now you're just bragging yeah well <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, so I worked, uh, you know, casually and that's what kind of helped subsidize what, what my, what I was doing with the business. But when I was like, okay, no more casual work, nothing else except taking photos. I thought that I had it all mapped out and I thought I was going to be fine, but within six months I was broke and I'd run out of money (laughs) and I ran out of clients. I was like, what the, I don't know if I can swear on here, but yeah, of course you can. What am I doing? You know? And, um, so I'd say like that was one of the first major mistakes that I made is just I had misplanned or mismanaged my money and there was just a disconnect between where I thought I was going and where I actually was going. And so you have to you have to learn through those mistakes. And I was still really young, so I still had plenty of time to bounce back. 
but definitely the the money side of things was always the hardest for me to learn and be really I don't want to say diligent but like um uh I can't even think of the word but you know strict with myself and have high standards of how I managed my money because if I failed to do that then I wasn't going to be able to stay in business and I would have to go and get another job so that for me was probably for a long time my biggest challenge in business then I think about I don't know like all the other client interactions that you have where you're like I'm right you're wrong and then you realize that you're wrong and the client is <laughs> always right and you have to just let your ego go to the side and completely just address the concerns of the client first and and even if it costs you they they are the most important thing in your business because they're the ones who will you know either lift up your your reputation or they have the ability to tear that down so true like i i don't always subscribe to that notion that the client is always right i'm Mm -hmm. i'm happy to listen and i'm happy to work through the problem with them but yeah you're right when you're first starting out in business sometimes you've got to let that leave that ego at the door and kind of go okay maybe i need to learn from Mm. my clients as well because they're teaching me something in this journey yeah yeah so yeah and i think actually you just touched on the other thing which was having this life mindset of i will always be a student so Mm. whether i'm learning from my clients and the feedback that they might give me whether i'm learning from other experts who know more than me uh, or just learning from every experience that I have in the business. But I, I don't ever want to get to a point where I think I know everything, I'm fine, I don't need to learn anything new because I think entrepreneurship constantly requires you to innovate and ask questions and do things differently. And the moment that you get stagnant or start thinking that you know it all is probably the moment that your competitor is going to jump in and actually you know, have that competitive advantage. I love that. I've never, I've never looked at it that simplistically, but I, I tend to agree with you, you know, that whole, I need to learn from others. I, you know, even the clients that I coach, I love to learn from because I'm learning yeah. from them every single day about different types of businesses, but I never, I've never just said those words. I want to remain a student, mm. even though it's true of the way I conduct myself, but um, no, I, I, yeah, that's a really great way of putting it. Yeah. And there's a humility in that. And, and mm. as we said, like it's putting your ego aside. And I think some kind of environments and some industries reward the ego and reward the know-it-all attitude. But at the end of the day, whilst I think I am absolutely an expert in what I offer to my clients and, and that when they come to me, I know a hundred percent that I have the solution to their problem. Um, I'm not an expert in the way that I run the business. And I'm not an expert in, um, you know, knowing how to promote my business, all of those things that I want to always be learning. Whilst we're talking about learning, if there was one piece of advice that you could give anyone starting out, whether it be specific to photography or the wedding industry or service-based businesses, whatever it might be, what would it that you, what would you advise? Uh, automate your finances. <laughs> 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 but watch yeah. those direct debits. But, watch the direct debits. <laughs> <laughs> but automate your finances in the sense that whether you follow a model that's, 
you know, similar to Barefoot Investor or Mike McCullowitz, um Profit First, yeah. you know, and, and figuring out like what's going to work for you. Mm. But I mean, both of those books were pivotal in the way that I structured my finances. And I kind of have this uh, blended, you know, evolution of both of those two models in my own business. And that for me just means I'm, I don't spend more than I earn. I, I mean, bigger than that, I don't spend more than I'm allowed to, you know, it's just, I keep, I keep a really good track of my cash flow now. I, 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 it saved my life. You know, I wouldn't be a photographer today if I kept doing the way that I ran my finances 10 years ago. I, it's an interesting topic actually, because in my current cash flow course that I've got going on, my first module talks a little bit about limiting beliefs. So mm-hmm. it, it intrigues me when you say that and, you know, thinking about the experience that you had when you first started out or went full time in your business and felt broke or got broke at a certain point. Do you think that that has molded? I know you've read some really key books from those that are, you know, leaders in this industry or in this particular topic. Do you think that that helped shape the way you are at, the, at present? Uh, I mean, yeah, 100%. I think that from a photographer's perspective, there's a real clash of ideas when it comes to well, you're creating art, but you're also building a business. And those ideas can sometimes feel at odds because one requires profitability and one kind of the focus on money can kind of inhibit your ability to do your job well. Mm -hmm. So how do you balance the two? So 100%, if the, the less I had to worry about money, the more I could put myself into the creative side of the business. Yeah, I love that actually. I really do. So tell me, COVID, <laughs> big couple of years for the wedding industry. Oh gosh, yes. <laughs> tell me about that. Oh that boy, oh boy. Okay, what do I tell you about COVID? 2020 was tough. 2020 yeah. was this, you know, real eye opener for me when I realized. And I, I had, I was aware of it before, but this was the moment that actually then started getting me thinking about the fact that I run a business that only makes money when I can be present on the day. I'm exchanging my time for money and it's a one-to-one service. And then if something like a pandemic hits and I'm unable to be there on the day, I'm unable to earn a living. Who would have and thought that, you were going to say that sentence, really? If a pandemic right? hits in yeah. your lifetime, like we, we're not thinking like that. But no yeah. one was thinking about it. Yeah, yeah so it's yeah that that really just opened my eyes to the fact that, gosh, I don't want to go and get another job. And I just love my business and I love working for myself. I love the creativity and the freedom that the job affords me and all of these things. So at the heart of it, I just thought I need to figure out what my future looks like. And it's probably not going to involve photographing 40 weddings a year for the rest of my life. And, you know, I mean, I I love it and I'll continue to do it as long as people want to hire me and, and think that my photos are valuable to them. Like that's, that's not a question, but it's about, well, how much do I need it? 
because that's how I pay the rent versus, well, this is just something that I get to do because I love it and people see the value in it and that's why they pay me. So I, in 2020, I actually created an online course teaching kids photography skills. And wow. it was so weird. I didn't, I, I, it was just because a friend of mine who's a parent just said, look, this is something that I would pay for my kid to do and you should go and create it because you got nothing to do for the next three months. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you're right. Okay. And so I created this course from start to finish. I had a couple of kids sign up and I mean, I only made, I only made one paying client or one sale. I only made one sale from that whole process because I gave it out for free and I wanted to seek some feedback. But then by the time the rollout had happened, then weddings were kind of back on again. And I was kind of back to the same old, same old. So I lost my energy and I lost my time that I was putting into it. But that was like the first thing that I ever kind of did that was, oh, I could just run an online business here and make some money. Tell me, can I just ask, why didn't you make more from that? Was that just, did, was there a bit of guilt around going down that path or was it just that, mm, what was the limit? Yeah, I think it was, it, it didn't, it didn't fully inspire me and I loved the concept. I loved, I really, really loved that it, it honestly gave me something to do every day when I woke up. Yeah. And at a, at a time in my life where I had lost all my work and I had no income security at all, I needed something to do. Right. So I created this course and just in the doing of it, that's what brought me joy. But then when it went out to the kids and I, you know, like the feedback I got was, oh, the, the kids have lost interest or, you know, it's a little bit complicated or whatever. And, you know, if, if this was something that I felt super passionate about, then I might've implemented some of that feedback and then, you know, kind of just kept revisiting it and relaunching it. But I just put it out into the world. I said, look, if anyone wants it, here it is. And I made that one sale and then I got busy again. And I think I just, then the, you know, the realization happens down the line where you go, oh, I haven't really thought about that in a while. I wonder why. Oh, probably because I wasn't that excited by it. So I think that's it. And, and that I was back to doing the thing that I love, which is taking photos at weddings. Okay. Now, I know where you were leading with the whole pandemic thing. Um, and we've talked about this in terms of dual incomes or additional income streams. So I'm assuming that's what kicked off you know, delving into a small online course, even though there was no passion in it, but you could see that there was potential, potent, you know, for something that you may have loved doing. Mm, mm. Is that what led you to you and I meeting and going down that path of that online strategy? I think that what happened then was... I, you know, I, I constantly growing as a business owner, you go, right, I'm back at weddings and this is what I love doing. And then I had in the middle of 2021, so that's kind of 12 months later, oh, yeah. is when I then was hit with this idea or this concept that I want to help other queer people. And the experiences that I've had as a business owner and as a queer person, both kind of inform this you know, this idea in my mind that I can help others achieve greater success in their business and I can help other people achieve greater self-love for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, that combination then 
inspired me to write a book. And I wrote a book called Queer Owned. And it's, you know, kind of part memoir of my journey being a queer business owner and then part, you know, kind of tactile. Here's what you can do as a queer business owner to utilize your queerness in your business. So I wrote that book in uh, June 2021. And then from there, I was like, all right, what do I do now? I've, I've started a dialogue about something that I feel really, really passionate about. What do I do next? And that was when I then looked into this idea of building an online business that was going to not only be a, a, an extra source of revenue for me, but doing something that had a really positive social impact. Mm-hmm. And when we met, I, I thought I was building a course to teach queer people how to build businesses and that for a really long time well not a really long but you know for several months and for several months that we were meeting once a week to talk about these things I I was just creating content and and courses that spoke to a certain audience I then realized I saw I, I had this other opportunity which was about sticking in the wedding industry and teaching other people how to be better allies to the queer people that they were coming into contact with in their in weddings and you know with with the passing of marriage equality a few years back this this idea of of queer people getting married is is still fairly new for a lot of businesses and a lot of people are nervous about what to say they're afraid of saying the wrong thing but they still want to they still want to be inclusive and they still want to make sure that people are feeling safe in their business and i just felt like i had so much to offer there i need to go back just for a second <laughs> sorry yeah i'm jumping around <laughs> no that's okay i'm still stuck on the fact not that I didn't hear everything else, but I'm still stuck on the fact that you wrote a book just randomly in, <laughs> in 2021, right? I love that. You made that sound so easy. But again, it plays. There oh, it is. is. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, this is great audio content. I'm just showing Amy the cover of the book. <laughs> it's awesome. But I guess that plays into, for me, that whole, the minute you're passionate about something, you get it done. Like I do. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, so often I say to a lot of people or even just, you know, when I think of young people in my life, like my nieces and my nephews, when they tap into something that is so passionate to them and I say, you can make a business of this. Yeah. They don't believe me. They really Mm. don't believe me. And I, I used to teach at a music and entertainment Academy. I used to teach the most unsexy stuff at the, the Entertainment Academy, and that was how to run a business. Oh, but great. A lot of the students there, here they are, you know, I was watching them from where I sat, you know, not having internet when I was their age, that's how old I am, not having those opportunities to reach the people we can reach right now. Mm-hmm. And yet they were still struggling with this concept of, can I really do something I'm just passionate about? Mm-hmm. But hearing you talk about the course that you created for the students where there was little passion in that, but you could still, yeah, I could do it. That's the mentality that a lot of people get stuck in their lives when they're working. It's, well, I can do it. So I'll Mm -hmm. just do it. But to be able to turn that corner and get to a point where you go, I've got something to say. I'm something very, something that's very passionate to me. I'm going to write a book about it. Love that. Love that that happened in June, 2020. I'm like, that's (laughs) awesome. But even more so when, you know, if you, I know your story about transitioning into this 
world of, you know, going online and having one idea and then all of a sudden this new idea being presented to you purely because not only has it been a passion project of yours, but it obviously was coming thick and fast at you when you were listening well enough to the environment and the needs of the people around you. Yeah, I have my approach to business ownership, I think has really evolved since the pandemic began. And now I just want to be entirely committed to building something that is both profitable and purposeful. And if it doesn't meet both of those things for me, then I don't want to do it. And so, you know, the the student, you know, the, the, the kids photo course for me kind of didn't hit the mark on either of them very much. And so then I started moving into this space of, well, can I teach queer people how to build businesses? There's some purpose there, but there actually is not a hugely established market yet. And I say yet, because this is still something that long-term I'm very, very passionate about. But right now it's like, that's not an established market. And so the profit side isn't there. And so now where I'm at is queer allyship within the wedding industry is both purposeful and a profitable opportunity for me because these are businesses who are wanting to do better in queer inclusion and have the money to spend and have the time to commit to, you know, changing the way that they, you know, position themselves and their brands to be inclusive. So, yeah, I think that five years ago, it was like, just build something that makes me money. And now I'm like, well, I want to build something that makes me money, but also has a positive influence in the world and actually brings me purpose. And I, I don't think what you've got on offer right now in terms of your training, and we'll talk about that in a second, but mm-hmm. I don't think what what you've got on offer is generally just restricted to the wedding industry. I know no, that's where your target is, and I know that's how you've presented your training, but I think there's something in that for everyone because there's there's a lot of business owners, like you said, that are really wanting to be inclusive. They're wanting to do the right things, to say the right things, to not have to tiptoe around, but to be genuinely there and doing the right thing. But I think there's something in that for everyone. Yeah, I'm having a lot of conversations at the moment with people in the real estate sector, people in medicine who are identifying within their own industry the need for better queer inclusion training. And I definitely see that there is a path in front of me that could lead to expanding the training to be more like sector specific or just a broad training that's relevant for everyone. So right now the focus is on weddings because that's where I've been for 10 years of my life. And I already know how how gendered this industry is set up to be, but you're right. It's, the the themes of inclusion are universal. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about using something like inclusive language, and that's just like literally reviewing how you speak to, to include everyone in that, rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to use the language that I've always known, because that's in, you know, that's talking to 99% is the majority of people understand what I'm saying and who I'm speaking to. 
But inclusive language is about, well, how can you speak to everyone and bring everyone on the journey with your business and what you're trying to do? Yeah. And there's a, a really clear distinction as well between knowing your niche and your, your target market and being exclusive. Ugh, mm. Let me say that again, being exclusive. The, you know, knowing your niche is I'm speaking to a group of people who are most likely to buy from me. And that's usually based on a set of values, a set of, you know, ideas and beliefs that that person has about where they are in the world. But being exclusive is saying, well, I'm only speaking to, you know, women aged 30 to 35 and nobody else, I don't need to speak to anybody else because I have nothing relevant for them. It's like, well, you could have somebody who's non-binary and 36 and they love your content. But if every, every piece of, you know, every, every form that you get your client to fill out or every, every blog article that you write or whatever it is, is only speaking to that really, really specific type of person, then that's actually excluding others who might actually be drawn to you based on their values and based on their life circumstances. And being inclusive is just a great way of opening up all opportunities for new clients and new business to come your way and to feel that for them to feel safe and, and heard and uh, seen in your business. And that can only be a good thing if we're talking about profit and purpose, yeah. you know, without just being very technical from a profit perspective, it certainly can only create better outcomes for you as a business owner to go down that path and to at least be aware of that part yeah. of the journey. Yeah. Yeah. And inclusive language is really gentle as well. You know, like just a simple act of asking somebody what their pronouns are on a, mm. on a client onboarding form is yeah. that's, that's not going to turn away any customers. No one's going to be turned off by that, no. but someone who is part of the queer community will see that. And what that signals to them is I've thought about you mm. and I, I want, I want people like you here to feel after, safe after such a long journey of not having or not feeling that and to now align with the way the world is it would be i can imagine it would be that whole you see me and mm. i i mm. appreciate that it doesn't have yeah. to be complicated it can just be that real genuine i appreciate yeah yeah, yeah. wow that's very cool <laughs> love that but I want to talk about the training. Can you okay. tell me about the training? I yes. know that you had a really successful run the first time around and you're about to do it all again. Tell me about it. Okay. So last year, at the end of last year, I had a couple of conversations with people who wanted to learn about inclusion. And so I just very, you know, on a whim, just decided to run a Zoom, a live Zoom workshop and uh, I just taught anyone who wanted to, you know, come along. I taught them about what, you know, the, the, you know, I, it was, I just called the module LGBTQ plus 101. So this is the fundamentals of the queer community, queer history, where we come from, what we, you know, what we're about. And then moving into inclusive language, what it is, how to use it well, how to practice it. And, uh, and then moved into a space of how do we apply this in, in your business? So I really wanted that focus on implementation and, and practical things that people can do to, 
to go out and and actively show their allyship to people in the queer community. So that was a real focus for me in delivering that uh, online workshop. Now what I'm doing just based on feedback that I got from there is I'm setting this up to be more of a mini course online. So it's going to be called Queer Wedding Ally Training. And yes, it's again, it's, it's very, it's very focused on the wedding industry, but those themes are universal and there's going to be so much that we talk about in terms of how to audit your website and how to audit all of your brand touch points to make sure that you're using inclusive language and to make sure that you're making the most of opportunities to share your values as a business with your customers and your clients. And then, you know, like another focus of the training will be how to be a more effective ally and advocate and using your platform as a business, using your platform as an influencer, whatever it might be to lift up the marginalized voices within the queer community. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that training is going to go live on the 1st of March mm-hmm. and it's $27 US. Yep. And it will, yeah, it'll be like 90 minutes worth of video content all up with a couple of PDF kind of worksheets to help you get through and, and make sure you can keep a track of all of the things that you want to implement day by day. And I'm, I'm just saying like this Queer Wedding Ally training will help you to authentically inclusify your business in seven days. So it's not this overwhelming, I need to rethink everything from the ground up and it's going to take me 12 months to implement. If you're a small business owner, then this is like a really achievable thing that you can do within a week. And, you know, it's maybe with an hour, an hour of time each day working on, on how you can be more authentically inclusive in your business. So yeah, it's, it's wedding specific, but very universal themes. And I think you've got a wait list. Is that right? I've got a, a link. Yes. To wait yeah, list that yeah. I'll put in the show notes that people can access. Totally. Um, so depending on when you're listening to this episode, exactly right. it might be, <laughs> it might be there's a wait list uh, in the lead up to the 1st of March, or if it's after the 1st of March, right. it'll take you straight to, uh, it, you know, to the, to the page where you can sign up and that the website is www.queerweddingallies.com. And is it going to be open from the 1st of March for good that people yeah. can go in? Yeah. And so even if it's like September this year or whatever it might be, they can jump in. And yeah. Yeah. That's, that's going to be live and, and just kind of sitting there whenever you are listening to this. The price is $27 from the 1st of March, but the mm-hmm. price would jump up on the 1st of April. So that first month is like the, the, it's the cheapest you're ever going to get this training. Fabulous. Looking forward to seeing that. Like, I think it's it's so important and I've been telling a lot of people about it because I, I think it's so, it's such a key, key training. I was even talking to another photographer the other day. She's a wedding photographer as well here in Melbourne. And she, we were talking about that whole inclusive piece and, mm-hmm. and she loves the idea of it. She thinks it's fantastic. So oh, thanks, Amy. I, I do love that connection. Now I'm going to get... We're going to go personal now because what okay. we haven't done that already. <laughs> when you aren't working either on or in your business, what are we going to find you doing? What do you love uh, to do? I, I enjoy working out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm in my gym clothes because I'm going straight to the gym after this. Yep. Uh, and I love to read. Oh, yeah. What are you reading at the moment? 
Oh, so at the moment I'm reading, I tend to have a fiction and a nonfiction going at the same time. Yep. So at the moment I've got my fiction is a book called Ready Player One, which was turned into a movie a couple of years ago. But yeah, mm-hmm. I haven't read the book before and I'm loving it. And nonfiction, I'm reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Yes, yes. I've got to get onto that, I must admit. You're enjoying that one as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm going really slowly because it's kind of, it's jam-packed with a whole bunch of ideas. And so I just want to make sure sure I'm absorbing it all. Okay, now to round up this episode, I did want to ask you, if you could have one person play you in a movie, famous person in a movie, doesn't have to look like you or anything like that, but... Mm -hmm. One person that you resonate with that could play you in a movie about your life, who would it be and why? Oh, that is a really good question. I let me take a moment to think. Okay. It's a tough question. Oh, um, I've just got to Google his name. Okay. I know who it is. I just what movie has he been in or show? Why am I blanking when you put me on the spot? It's so hard because like now I'm like, what's the name of the movie that I've got to look him up in <laughs> to find out? Because um... I find at times that I resonate more with a character than the actor per se. Sure, so therefore yeah. it translates to, will I associate myself with that person? And just to give you my take on it, because I was once asked this question in a job interview, it was Julia Roberts, not oh, yeah. because I think I look like her because I certainly don't, but <laughs> Julia Roberts in the movie, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Mona Lisa's Smile. I haven't seen the movie, no. Okay, so she's a teacher, but she's she's a teacher, in, I think, in the 60s, 50s or 60s, where women had to conform to what was going to happen next in their journey. And, you know, straight after high school, it was go on, be a wife, Sure. And this yeah. is what they had to aspire to, mm-hmm. but she wasn't that person. She was a teacher and she found it difficult to really resonate with yeah, young girls that right. didn't feel as though they could have something more. And I find that I have grown up like that. Like, mm-hmm. so I really resonate mm-hmm. with her. So that's kind of my connection on that. Good one. You, I have to go and watch this movie now. I feel like I'm going to know Very you better cool just watching the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I've, remember their name thank you google miles teller who you may or may not be familiar with i've got to find what he's in to then tell you so he is in whiplash which is that drumming movie yes and and he gets trained really really hard uh to be this like excellent drummer and so i think maybe it's that specific movie because he has this excellent skill but also is so determined to be better and and the best and so I think there's something about that if you're you you know you're kind of talking about the character that you resonate with so um his character is so so driven uh and then I don't know like I think maybe just he's Miles Teller as an actor is pretty versatile can play a lot of different characters but I think he would probably encapsulate my you know like very uh nerdy but also quite you know, like flamboyant and over the topness. Like I think he could just put it all together and, and do a good job of it. Oh, there you go. Before we finish up, I do just want to make mention that you are also the co-host of a podcast called what is it? The Profit on Margins podcast. Profit on I'm the gonna, margins. That's it. Yep. 
I'm going to put a link to that as well for those in the show notes so they can check that out. Tell me about that. That's relatively new, isn't it? So I've been recording that with my co-host for, I don't know, three or four months. And we are talking about all things queer and business. And, you know, for me as a business owner and then my co-host who kind of works in startups. And so, yeah, just these ideas about how we can really like tap into our queer identities to build better things and be better leaders in the business community. You're doing a great job. I have no doubt. I'm so excited for the things to come. And I know we're going to still be a part of that journey for a little while yet. So I'm I'm very excited. Thank you, for Amy. You. But I've been blessed to have met you and I really do appreciate you spending some time with me today. Yeah, likewise. I'm so grateful to have met you as well. I don't have a lot of friends who are kind of doing the same things as me business-wise. So it's so, so valuable to me every time that we get to catch up and we just, we speak the same language there. We know what we're talking about when we're talking about a lead magnet and list building and like all those terms. (laughs) It's like, we know, know. so yeah, I I get a lot out of our friendship. Thank you. Yeah. So do I, so do I. And I can't wait to get to Sydney and we'll, we'll go for sure when we can, who knows when that will look like, but, um, (laughs) but thanks again, Hank, for spending this time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. My pleasure. To learn more about the boring shit you need to know in business, head to my website, www.amybajada.com.au forward slash podcast, where you will find all my latest and greatest podcast episodes for you to enjoy. To be notified of new podcast episodes when they become available, be sure to hit that notification where you're listening to this podcast. Stay well, my friend.